Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. MLBC is led by Pastor Dennis Fountain and exists to help real people going through real life experience real change through our incredible God. We hope this message will be an encouragement to you, and we'd love to hear how God used it in your life. Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and let's go to the book of Luke and chapter number five, Luke chapter five this morning. As we have this uh, Community Sunday where we really celebrate and uh, show appreciation to those that serve, I'm reminded of the challenge that Paul gave to Timothy in, uh, of course, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, where Paul said, uh, he basically said to Timothy, "I, I exhort you or I encourage you that when you pray, to pray not only for yourself and your needs, but pray for those that lead you. And uh, the Bible teaches so much about praying for those who protect us and praying for those who lead us. And so I would encourage you as our church family, uh, we talk about it every now and then, but I encourage you not only to pray for our first responders and our healthcare workers and our military, but praying for those that serve in elected positions, praying for their families, praying for wisdom as they guide and lead and direct, and recognizing uh, the pressures that are upon all of those offices I think of first responders that uh, most, most first responders run to the danger instead of running away from it. And uh, you know, what a great picture of Jesus running to the cross, running to danger rather than running away from it. And so I think of the sacrifice that they give. And so as we celebrate, I, I hope that today would not just be a day that we're kind of like, oh, it's here, it happened, yep, we pray for you. But I hope that we would actually pray and pray for our leaders, and pray for our first responders and those who serve in healthcare. Well, uh, Luke chapter five is where we are. We're in a series right now called Encountering Christ. It is looking at just the possibilities of a life with Jesus. And we're looking, of course, the book of Luke, written by Luke. Uh, many people think that Luke was an apostle of Jesus. He wasn't one of the 12. He was just a disciple, an early follower of Jesus. And he's writing the book. You can go to Luke chapter one and discover why he's writing it, writing to a man by the name of Theophilus. Uh, Theophilus was probably a ruler because he called him, oh, most excellent Theophilus. And he's writing to him to kind of just lay out the fact that Jesus is who he said he was, uh, that Jesus, his life backed it up, the personhood of Jesus, the deity of Jesus, Jesus, the power of Christ, all of those things back up who Jesus is. And so that's why Luke is writing. So we've been in this series for a a few weeks now, and we're going to pick back up this morning in Luke chapter number five. Before we get there, I got to ask you a question. Can you remember, for some of you, this might be harder to remember this far back, uh, but can you remember... You remember getting a, a soda or a pop or a Coke, whatever you call it, when you'd get to go to a restaurant and your parents would say, you can have, you can have whatever you want in the soda fountain. And you go and it, most kids, most kids, teenagers, what do you do? You get a little bit of everything, right? Uh, they call it the, the suicide drink or they call it the, my son told me, no, dad, that's called mud soda. It's called mud soda now, dad, get it right. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's mud soda. You just get a whole big, man, when you're a kid and you do that, it just makes sense. But as you get older, you think, what was I thinking? <laughs> Who puts blueberry drink inside of A&W root beer? Like it just doesn't mix. Uh, it's, like watching, it's like watching kids uh, with ice cream. 
or yogurt. We have Blue Palm here in town. Some of you go to, have gone to Blue Palm. You ever watched a kid or a teenager fill up their bowl at Blue Palm? Like if you've ever done that, uh, it'll make you gag. And here's why, because they go and they start out, you know, they're looking at all of the different flavors of, of yogurt and they go and they're like, oh, what's this one? They try a few. And so they get a little bit of butterscotch and a little bit of chocolate and a little bit of vanilla and then a little bit of the strawberry swirl. And then they're like, well, to top all of this off, I'll get the mint ice cream too, you know. And, and then they go to the toppings and they put the little gummy bears on and then they put gummy worms on and then they scoop a scoop a you know, Reese's on there. And then, then they get those little jelly-filled tapioca balls and put them on and then some chocolate syrup. And, and you look at it and they top it off with more mint. In my mind, I'm like, are you psychotic? Because those things don't go together. Like, I don't care who you are. Now, maybe you do that. If you do that, you're totally normal. But when my teenagers do that, it is not normal. And you know what? They get like four or five bites in and then they go, oh, man, I shouldn't have put the gummy worms. I'm like, the gummy worms? That's what you're thinking? Why, why do we do that? Man, there's just certain things. There are certain things in life that we look at that certain things that just don't go together. There are certain things that they just don't, they just don't mix Maybe you're like my sister. This is how my sister eats her food. Nothing can ever touch. Maybe that's you. If you are that person, let me tell you, you can look it up right now on Amazon. I give you permission to take your phone out right now and look it up and buy these. If this person is you, they make food dividers for your plate now. You don't have to do this and look psychotic. You can just use plate food dividers. I, I'm literally going to order my sister one of these for her birthday uh, because I think it's great. You know why, why my sister divides all of her food up? Man, there's just certain things that don't go together. As we come to Luke chapter number five, what we're going to discover today is Jesus teaching that there are certain things that just don't go together. Oh, he's not talking about food. He's not talking about soda. He's not talking about yogurt. What Jesus is going to help us with and understand today is that Jesus Christ and Bible Christianity, it stands alone. You don't need to mix other things into it. You don't need to pull a lot of other things into your life to try to impress Jesus. Jesus completely stands alone. That's the principle we're gonna find out this morning. Luke chapter five is where we're gonna be. I wanna start in verse number 27 of Luke five. And so if you would, let's just read this. I'll read out loud. You can read there, follow along on the screen or... In your Bible right there, Luke chapter five, verse number 27, it says this. And after these things, he went forth and Jesus saw a publican named Levi, or we would know him as Matthew. He was sitting at the receipt of custom. He's a tax collector sitting in his office. And he, Jesus, said unto him, Matthew, follow me. And Matthew left all, rose up and followed Jesus. And Levi, Matthew, made Jesus a great feast in his own house. And there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. But the scribes and Pharisees, they murmured against the disciples of Jesus, saying, Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answering, he said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick 
they do. I came not to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners to repentance. And they said unto him, why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers and likewise the disciples of the Pharisees, but your disciples, they eat and drink. And he, Jesus said unto them, can you make the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them and then shall they fast in those days. And he spake also a parable unto them. No man putteth a piece of a new garment Upon an old. If otherwise, then both the new maketh a rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new agreeeth not with the old. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles shall perish. But new wine must be put into new bottles, and both are preserved. No man, also having drunk old wine, straightway desireth new. For he saith, the old is better. As this story unfolds today, we're gonna find a tax collector coming to Jesus. We're gonna discover some Pharisees, religious people, confronting Jesus. But the lesson that we're going to see today is simply this statement. That following Jesus doesn't mix with any other religion, any other belief system, or any other way of thinking. Jesus stands alone. You don't need to mix him with anything else. It's some great principles that I think will help us today. And so let's pray. Let's ask God to bless our time together. And then let's discover what he has for us. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, would you take just a minute and just in the quietness of your own heart, would you pray? And would you ask God to speak to you today? Would you give God permission to speak to you today? And then would you make a commitment, God, if you speak to me, I'm listening to you today. Dear Lord, we come before you this morning. We pray that you would help us to hear from you. We pray, God, that you'd speak to us. We pray, God, that as we get into your word, that you would arrest our attention this morning upon your truth. God, I pray for you to help us to tune in and to hear exactly what you have. We love you. We thank you for your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we make our way into this passage, we actually come to a familiar town, probably even a familiar setting if you've been with us in our series, because the town that we come to is the town of Capernaum. Capernaum is the place where this story would take place. We know Capernaum really as a, a fishing town that sits on that northwestern side of the Sea of Galilee. Capernaum would be the place that Jesus would actually kind of base out of for all of his earthly ministry. As a matter of fact, if you go and you study out the earthly ministry of Jesus, you will find him coming back to Capernaum over a dozen times. Really, this is the place where we know that about half of his apostles would come from. If you were with us three weeks ago, we listened in as Jesus called Peter and Andrew and James and John to follow him. Well, who, where are they from? Capernaum. That's where they're from. So on this day, Jesus, still in Capernaum after what we saw took place last week, Jesus is just walking through the town. He travels by the tax collector's office. The receipt of custom is what it's referred to here. And as he goes by, he sees a man by the name of Levi. Now, no doubt we can know this from the context of Matthew, Mark, and Luke that write all about the life of Matthew coming to Christ. We know that Matthew or Levi, as he's referred to in this passage, he's met Christ before. 
No doubt he's heard him speak. He's been in Capernaum. So we have to know the, that small area, anytime Jesus was around, we know that multitudes from Capernaum would come and, and be around Jesus. But on this day, something different happens in Matthew's life. Now, Matthew or Levi, he's a publican. What is that? The, the word publican, literally the definition of publican means tax farmer. That's what he does. He farms taxes. Well, from who? Well, Levi, he's a Hebrew, he's a Jew. That area, really most of the known world, was under Roman rule at this time. And so Levi is a Jew that is collecting taxes from other Jews, other Hebrews, on behalf of the despised government of Rome. He's representing a people that the Hebrews don't like, and he's taxing his very own people. So the nation of Israel, they hated publicans. They hated people like Levi. Why? Because he's harvesting taxes from his very own people. And on top of that, skimming off of the top, stealing from those that he's taxing. What we find is on this day, Levi's sitting in his office. This office would be not an office like you and I think of. This office would be just a little small cubby that would have a cutout with bars over it so that people could come by and pay their taxes to the tax collector. And as Jesus passes by on this particular day, he comes by and he says to Matthew, to Levi, he says, follow me. Now, here's what we need to know. He's not like, hey, let's go to lunch. He's not like, hey, Levi, let's go fishing on your lunch break, on your dinner break. Like This isn't just a, hey, let's hang out. The phrase that he uses here, the word that he uses, it means to accompany or to be in the same way with or to become a disciple of. Jesus is literally saying to Matthew, Matthew, believe on me and then be a disciple of mine. There's multiple decisions in just this phrase, follow me. So what happens? Well, Matthew, from the text, he believes on Jesus, and he follows him. That's what he says. He forsakes all. He leaves his life behind, and he puts Jesus first. Well, what does he do after this? He goes out and he invites all of his friends to a, a feast at his house. He gets out his cell phone and he starts texting everybody he knows. He's instant messaging everybody he knows. He's Facebook messaging. He's doing all of those, all those little Facebook messages that you and I send out, you know, that if you like this, then, you know, God's gonna bless you. I don't know, but he sends things out and he starts saying, hey, if you'll come to my house for dinner, I've got a surprise for you. If you come to my house for dinner, I've got something special for you. And uh, we don't know. We do know he didn't use a cell phone, all right? Those of you that are... Th we don't know how he got the word out, but we know he gets the word out and he begins inviting people to his house and all these people start to come. And why, why is he doing that? Well, Matthew, Levi, he's excited about this decision. Man, I've, I've met the Messiah. I've met the promised one. I've believed. And he's already even perhaps seen a change in his own life, hearing the teachings of Christ and all of these things take place. And so he invites all these people to lunch. Well, we need to know and we need to remember this. <clears throat> Whenever Jesus traveled in scripture, there was always an entourage of people that followed him. There was always people, when you and I read it and we read that Jesus and his disciples went here, 
we need to know that unwritten in scripture often is all of the outside people that were there. Sometimes they're written about, sometimes they're not. But there was always a group of people that followed Jesus. There was the apostles. There would be at times other disciples or followers. There would be people who were just there for the miracles. Jesus refers to them in John chapter six. There would be those who, there were skeptics. But then in that group or that entourage of people, there would be Pharisees and scribes and lawyers. Not lawyers like you and I think of, lawyers in the sense of people who knew the law, knew the Torah. Well, they would also be a part of this group. What were they doing? Well, the Pharisees and scribes and lawyers, they were always trying to follow Jesus to catch him in a lie. They were trying to pin him to be able to say he's a false teacher. That's why at the death of Jesus, they had to, the phrases conjure up people to lie about Jesus. They had to bribe people because they knew that Jesus was real. They knew that Jesus was true. Well, on this day, Matthew calls all these people to dinner. And the people that Matthew call, they're the friends of Matthew. Now, they're not the friends that you and I would expect people to have. They're the friends that no one would want. You see, because Levi, Matthew, do you know who he had to hang out with? Other publicans, the outcasts of society, other tax collectors. He had to hang out with the ex-convicts. He had to hang out with the drunkards. He had to hang out with the prostitutes. He had to hang out with the people that were despised by the community. Those would be Matthew's friends. And so on this day, who's coming over? Matthew's friends, the outcasts of society. Well, remember, part of the group that followed Jesus around, it's those scribes and Pharisees, the religious people. So what are they doing on this day? Well, they're standing with their arms folded to the side. And the disciples, from the context, it seems like the disciples maybe are di directing traffic. You have Peter outside of Matthew's house saying, are you guys coming to the dinner that Matthew has? Come on in here, come on in, and saying that. And the Pharisees, they walk up to the disciples and with their scowl on their face, they say, why does your master eat and drink with sinners? Doesn't he know who's in this room? And the Bible tells us that Jesus Knowing their thoughts, knowing what they said, Jesus answers them, verse 31. And in verse 31, Jesus says to them a sarcastic statement. Jesus had sarcasm a lot of times with the Pharisees. That's why I think there's the gift of sarcasm, and I have it. Uh, I'm kidding. Here's what, here's what happened is in verse number 31, Jesus says to them after they ask the question, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Because you see, they're in, these Pharisees, they're in disbelief that this teacher, if he really was who he said he was, then he would know who these people are and he would disassociate from them. One man says that the Pharisees and scribes, they were sanctimonious and pious and hypocritical. They were, they were uh, enveloped in their own self-righteousness. And so Jesus says to them, well... It's not the sick that I'm here to save, or excuse me, it's not the healthy that I'm here to save, it's the sick. He says, it's not those who are well that need a physician, but those who are sick. And you can see verse number 32, I came not to call the righteous, but I came to call sinners to repentance. Now, let me just tell you real quick, Jesus isn't complimenting them, just so you know. He's not like, oh, I didn't come for you guys, you've got it together. You're righteous. 
No, here's what Jesus, in the sarcasm, Jesus is saying, oh, well, you're self-righteous. You don't need me. But these people, the sinners, they recognize they need me. Well, what do the Pharisees do? Verse 33, they justify themselves. They point to their righteousness. How do they do that? They go, can we ask you a question? Jesus, why is it that the disciples of John the Baptist, I mean, we know you and John are friends. Why is it that his disciples pray and fast and our disciples, our followers pray and fast, but you guys, you just, you ignore all of that. You know what they're doing with this? They're not, the the question is not about prayer and fasting. The question is about religion. You see, because they ask a question, not about voluntary prayer and fasting. Here's what they ask a question about. Why, Jesus, why aren't you fitting into our religious system? The Pharisees at this time in uh, Jewish history, they actually had fastings and prayers that were required. If you were a religious person, it was expected that you would fast and pray often, but every week it was expected that you would fast and pray Mondays and Thursdays. It was expected. As a matter of fact, think about this in Luke chapter number 18. Those of you that that can remember the story, Luke chapter 18, remember there's a sinner, there's a publican, a tax collector in church praying, and there's a pious Pharisee in church praying. And the tax collector comes in and he says, God, I'm a sinner before you. I'm here. Like he doesn't, he, he just recognizes it. What's the Pharisee do? Luke 18, the Pharisee comes in and says, God, I thank you that I am not like the publican. I'm not like the tax collector. And then he says, because I fast twice a week, I follow the system. They ask this question to Jesus and Jesus responds. And what does he say? He says, can I, I'm gonna give you a couple of illustrations. If you go to a wedding, if the wedding's taking place and the bridal party is there, the groom, the bride, everything's going well, do you fast at a wedding? He's like, no, it's a celebration. I don't know about you, but I haven't been to a lot of dreary weddings. Now, maybe it's dreary for the mom-in-law or pop-in-law or somebody like that, I don't know. But most weddings, man, it's a joyous occasion and it's celebrated and we invite people for meals and all of this stuff. Think about Abby and Carlos that just got married. What what are you guys at right now? Almost three months, two and a half months? Where are we at? Nine weeks. Carlos, you got it down to the week? Man, look at that. Almost nine weeks. I think about their wedding for those of us that were able to go down to Salt Lake City and be at that wedding. Man, you walk in and this whole hall is set up for a great meal and and a great celebration that went on for hours. What were they doing? Celebrating a couple coming together. Man, this is God's plan. Look at what's happening. This is the illustration Jesus gives. You celebrated a wedding. And then Jesus helps a little more with three illustrations. The first illustration Jesus gives is this. If you had two pieces of garment, let's say you had two pairs of jeans. One pair is old, it's all tattered and frayed. I'm not talking about the new ones you buy that are tattered and frayed. I'm talking about the old ones. It's your favorite pair of jeans, tattered and frayed. And the other one is a new pair of jeans. Well, Jesus says, if you took from the new pair and you cut out the knees, that's what I always had. 
Always had knee grass stains and holes in my knees. If you got brand new, not my knees and my jeans, let's be clear. If you got new jeans and you cut out from the new jeans and you took that new jean material and you sewed it on the old, here's what Jesus says. If you do that, it's not gonna work. Why? Because your new jeans now have holes in them and the patches that you put on the old jeans, on the old garment, it's not gonna blend, it's not gonna mix. It's actually gonna tear and the, the tear would be worse. You can't mix the old and the new. Second illustration Jesus gives. It's about wineskins, it's about new wine. Well, what is he talking about? Now, in the passage, we have to know Jesus isn't addressing drinking and all of this right here. Here's what Jesus is addressing with the wine. He says, listen, if you harvested grapes and you're making wine, you would not put those, that new wine in old wineskins. Now, we don't process wine this way in our day and age. We really can't, can't wrap our minds around this sometimes, but they would put wine in old goat skins and new goat skins. They would take a goat, they would skin it, they would dry out that skin a little bit, and then they would put that wine in there and sew it up and let it, let it do its fermentation process. Well, in the fermentation process of that wine, they would put that in the skin, but the fermentation process would be that different gases and things would be released from that juice that would be in there to ferment it. And during that process, when it would release that new skin, it would expand because it was still fragile. It was still able, or not fragile, but it was still uh, um, uh, flexible, pliable. Thank you. Yeah, my brain just wasn't working there for a second. It's still flexible, able to do that. So here's what Jesus says. You're not gonna take new wine and put it in old wineskins. Why? Because it's old, it's broken down, it's crusted, it's disgusting. If you do that, when it begins to expand, it's gonna burst. What's he saying? You can't mix the old with the new. Third illustration, verse 39. If I were to offer you a, a, new, a new type of wine, Jesus says this to them. He said, some of you are gonna say, nope, I'm good with the old. Nope, that, that I don't want that newfangled stuff. I'm good with the old. Just leave me with the old. What's Jesus saying in all of this? And we gotta catch the context today or else the rest of the message won't make sense to us. Jesus is saying you can't mix the new and the old. <laughs> That's the whole point Jesus is getting at. You can't mix the new and the old. These are things that just do not go together. So in our story, in our passage, why is it that God would inspire the author of Luke, Matthew, Mark, they all three record this for us. Why is it that these scenarios would be in one story? Why is it that Matthew, he's here, he's a publican, he believes in Jesus, he's all in, he follows Jesus. But during that time, there's a conversation with Pharisees who are skeptics and critical, who ask questions and try to, prove their spirituality with God? Why is it that God would allow all of that to be put in this story for us? I want us to see this morning that what Jesus is teaching through all of this is this simple point. Jesus is interested in all of your life. He's not interested in part of it. 
Jesus is interested in him being all to you. He's not interested with being merged with other religious things. You see, because Jesus can't be mixed with other belief systems. Jesus can't be mixed with other religions. Jesus can't be mixed with other self-prescribed religiosity. Jesus stands alone. So we need to know that going into this. And today I wanna take the next few minutes knowing the story. I wanna ask you four questions. Just four simple questions. We know the story. We know about Levi. know about the Pharisees, the illustrations, all of it. I wanna ask you four questions. The first question that I'd like to ask you today is this. Which character do you identify with in our story? Which character do you most identify with in our story? Well, pastor, who's the options? First, you have the follower. Who's the follower? Well, we see the follower in Matthew or Levi. There are four decisions in this passage that I see Levi making that every follower of Jesus will probably continually make. Number one, the decision, the follower has made a clear decision to receive Jesus into their life. In that phrase, follow me, Jesus is not just saying, again, let's hang out. He's giving Matthew opportunity to believe upon him, one decision, second decision to pursue Jesus, to be a disciple of him. But you know what a follower of Jesus has done? A follower of Jesus has made a clear decision in their life to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. Now, we need to understand, we need to differentiate between Jesus being Savior and Jesus being Lord. Those are two different decisions. You see, Savior says, I trust you for salvation. I trust you for my eternity. Savior says, I believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and I commit that I believe in Jesus alone. That is calling upon him as our Savior, like Romans chapter 10 and verse 13, when it says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is the salvation moment, believing that Jesus is Savior. So every follower has made that clear decision. That's a one-time decision. But beyond that, the second thing I see is that the follower has a continued desire for full surrender. Now, what do you mean by that, Pastor? We have to separate Savior, believing upon Jesus for salvation. Lord, entrusting Jesus for today. Giving myself to him today. Forsaking all and following him today. You see, a follower of Jesus not only has that saving moment, that's a one-time decision, the one time when you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ alone, the follower says, it doesn't just stop at salvation. No, today, God, today I give myself to you. Oh, I already believe that's a one-time decision that seals our eternity, but today I choose to follow you as Lord. Today, God, you can have my uh, conversation. I surrender that to you. Today, God, you can have my thoughts. God, today you can have how I lead my family. God, today I desire full surrender. And so the follower has a continued desire for full surrender. Not only that, but I see in our passage, the follower also has a desire to honor Jesus Christ. I see it here in uh, uh, Matthew or Levi after he 
believes in Jesus and then follows Jesus, what does he do? He says, hey, I wanna honor you. What's he, I wanna exalt you. I wanna have a dinner in your name and exalt you as the honored guest and I'm gonna invite other people to it. Do you know what his desire, Matthew's desire was? His desire was to point to this new, this new Messiah, this new savior that he had. And you know what? A follower of Jesus, for the modern day follower of Jesus, there should be a continued desire to exalt him. Hey, we're asking the question, which of these characters do you most identify with? Do you identify with a follower of Jesus? Have you believed upon him? Have you made the decision? Do you, are you continuing to make the decision to surrender to him? Do you have a desire to honor him? Fourthly, I see there's a desire to bring others to Jesus. You know what Matthew did in this? He said, Jesus, not only do I wanna honor you, but I'm gonna bring others to you. I want them to meet you. Hey, Jesus, you are too good of a savior for me to keep you to myself. You know what a modern day follower is gonna do? A modern day follower is not only gonna look for opportunities to exalt Jesus Christ, but I'm gonna look for opportunities to bring other people to him. Man, coworkers and classmates and people that I, I associate with and my neighbors and my family. And man, having that, what, what is that? That's a follower who says, I want to bring people along in this. That's what a true follower does. So who do you most identify with? Number one, the follower. Number two, what about the Pharisee? Maybe you most identify with the Pharisee. Now I wanna say this today in our passage the Pharisee, they are unbelievers in our passage. All right, they, they do not believe. But here's what I wanna help us understand today, and we'll see it again in just a minute, that a lot of Christians, even though we're saved, at times we still have the heart of a Pharisee. Well, what does a Pharisee do? Here's the things I see in the passage from the Pharisee. Number one, the Pharisee has a tendency to criticize why do your disciples not fast and pray? Huh. Why are you eating and drinking with sinners and publicans? What are they doing? The Pharisee has criticism to Jesus, knowing better than him. I hate to say this, but there's times in my life when I think I know better than God. God, I can't believe you didn't. God, I can't believe you Instead of saying, God, I trust you, I say, God, I'm gonna be critical about this. What do I see in the Pharisee? The Pharisee has a tendency to criticize. I see the Pharisee has a tendency to judge. The Pharisee was condemning others while honoring themselves. They were lifting up themselves while calling out the sinners around them. Why does your master eat and drink with sinners and publicans? Doesn't he know who these people are? They judge others to prove their superiority. This is why I'm better. This is why I'm greater. This is why I don't deserve. And if I'm honest again, can I say that there's been times in my life that I'm that too. Times when I maybe look at other people and judge them while doing the next thing, which is the Pharisees have a tendency to justify. The Pharisee justifies themselves. They, in our passage, remember they said, why do you eat and drink with sinners? Jesus tells them, oh, you're too self-righteous for me. And what do they do? They go, oh, well, do you see how religious we are? 
We, we fast and pray. Our disciples fast and pray. Hey, we have our followers in check. Why don't you have yours in check, Jesus? What are they doing? They're justifying themselves. Hey, do you see how religious we are? I mean, you guys are all sinners. We're the righteous ones over here. I see, fourthly, that the Pharisee has a tendency to stay comfortable. This is in that verse 39 when Jesus calls them out to say, you're, you're stuck in your old ways, to say, hey, you just want the old. We find this in Jesus saying, you are comfortable with what you have been doing, but you are missing the Savior that is sitting in front of you. You see, they were comfortable with the religion that they had built, but they were missing the very person that their religion was created to point to. You see, that was the big thing about the, uh, even still to this day, the big thing about, about Jews and about Hebrews and about people with religion. You see, religion says you need a savior. Religion says you can't do it on your own. That's what religion is about. It's about you and I recognizing we can't do it. But most people think, well, I'll try anyway. <laughs> and here's the Hebrews of the Old Testament. God, you know, why the, you know why the law came out? Do you know why you look at sacrifices? Do you know why you look at many of the stories in the Old Testament? Why are they there? They're all there to point to Jesus. It's all there to be a picture of the need that mankind has for Jesus. But you know what we do? We tend to just stay comfortable. The Pharisees, they were comfortable in their religion. Don't ask questions. Don't grow. Don't, don't uh, desire clarity. No, 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 no. Stay Stay in your lane, stay comfortable. And isn't it sad today that churches are filled with people that are comfortable? I'm comfortable with an hour and 15 minutes, pastor, you go over. Mm -mm. I'm comfortable with my spot. I'm comfortable with my group. I'm comfortable with my growth group. I'm comfortable with my friends. I'm comfortable with coming in and, and hearing things that will encourage me. I, I'm comfortable with it. We're com we get comfortable in our religion, just like the Pharisees. Say, Pastor, why do you bring all of this out? Again, in our passage, we need to know in our passage, the Pharisee is, an, they are unbelievers. But Again, I think that many of us, even after believing, we can be just like the Pharisee. I read this quote years ago, and may it help us. Be careful because there is a little, that word little got cut off, and I apologize. Oh, it's there. It's cut off on mine. Be careful because there is a little bit of the Pharisee in us all. Hey, there's a little bit of a Pharisee in all of us. I wonder this morning, who do you most identify with right now in your Christian life? Are you a follower? You've believed? You wanna have a full surrender and honor him and point to him? Or are you a Pharisee? Judging others, justifying yourself, staying critical, stuck in the comfortable. Or perhaps today you're with the company. Who's the company? Well, these are all those fringe people. These are all those publicans and sinners that are just kind of there. They're in all the stories of Jesus, the fringe people. Who are they? Well, those in the company are those who are just observing and they're not making a decision for themselves. You know what our churches are filled with today? They're filled with people who are just the company. Are you a Christian? I don't know yet. Well, I go to church. We hear it. We know it. 
A lot of people have been raised in it, but they've never made the decision themselves. And maybe you're here this morning and you're part of the company. You would say, I identify with the company. Why? Because I've never made the personal decision to receive Jesus Christ in my life. Hey, can I tell you what, my friend? Just because you're a part of the company doesn't make you a follower. You have to have a time in your life when you've believed in Jesus Christ alone. First question I ask you today, who do you most identify with? Second question. Second question is this, how are you trying to impress Jesus? In the passage, Jesus is trying to help these understand who he is and what he is. And he is teaching that I don't try to, I'm not gonna be combined with anything. Number one, teaching that Bible Christianity is not compatible with any other religious belief. All other religious systems, they're just systems of works. They all say, do this and do that. But Jesus says, I've already done it. So he doesn't mix with anything else. But here's what I want to say about this. For the believer, the follower of Jesus, here's what we do. We come to Jesus at a time in our life when we trust him completely as Savior. And we recognize that we get forgiveness and restoration and a relationship with God all because of Jesus Christ, nothing to do with us. We believe in him based upon, the the phrase is, by faith through grace, or by grace through faith. Like we believe completely on him. It's not about what I do or baptism or church or works. I come to Jesus because of his death, burial, and resurrection. We believe by faith. And we're saved by his grace. But here's what we do. As we start the Christian journey, we begin to think that we can impress God. We begin to think that God is gonna be in heaven going, wow. You went to church this week. Woo-wee. That's amazing. And and we may not say, hey, God, are you impressed with me? Look how much I did. Look how much I served. Look how much I gave. Hey, God, look. But here's what we do. We move. We we believed by faith, and we believe because of God's grace, and we recognize it's by his grace that he saves us. But then we think that it's by our works that we can perform for him. We forget that Jesus loves us just the way we are. And I, I should not come to church because I'm trying to impress, with him, impress him. I should come to church because I love him. It's like a husband and a wife relationship. Today, I'm gonna tell you right now, today you're not gonna see me holding some other lady's hand. You're not gonna see that today. Today, you're not gonna see me put my arm around some other lady and give her a kiss on the cheek. You're not gonna see that. Why? It's not just because I said some vows 19 years ago. No, it's because I love her. You see, but what Christians do, we, have, we get in our mindset that because of the vow and because of, well, I believed in Jesus, so now I have to perform for him. Hey, listen, you're never, you and I are never gonna impress him. We forget this truth that Jesus will never love you any more or any less than he does right now. In this moment, Jesus is never gonna be more impressed with you. Why? He loves you based upon who he is, not who you are. So my works aren't gonna gain love, nor are my works going to cause me to lose love. What are you trying to impress Jesus with? The Pharisee in our passage, what were they doing? Hey, Jesus, look how religious we are. We pray, we fast. Hey, look at us. I wonder how many of us in here, we are doing that. Oh, we trusted Christ a long time ago, but now we're going, hey, God, look at me. Third question. 
Third question is this, what is the all in your life that prevents you from fully following Jesus? We spoke about a follower a few minutes ago that there is a continued desire to full surrender. Can I tell you this morning that Jesus is not just interested in part of you, he is interested in all of you. And yes, there needs to be a decision to receive him as savior. We'll talk about that again in just a minute. The decision to receive him as savior, that is one decision. But every day there should be a desire in my life to say, God, there is nothing that is going to hold me back from being all in. When the Bible says that Matthew forsook all and followed Jesus, that phrase forsook all, it means he left behind his plans, his passions, his desires, his own purposes, his own thoughts about his life. He said, hey, I give you everything. I am all in as a follower of Jesus. I wonder where is that type of dedication today in our life? What holds you back from being all in? Hey, what's holding you back from this week saying, all right, God, I'll give you Monday. And then on Tuesday morning, you wake up and you say, all right, God, I'll give you today. God, I'll give you my conversation. God, I'm gonna give you how I lead my family. God, I'm gonna give you the thoughts that I have and the music that I listen to and the, the media that inputs into my life. God, I'm gonna give it all to you. God, I'm gonna give you how I lead my wife and how I work with my children. God, I'm gonna give you my job and my conversation in the workplace. Hey, God, nothing is gonna hold me back from being all in. What's stopping you from saying, God, I give you all of me? Maybe it's friendships, maybe it's family, maybe it's jobs or a hobby or a goal. Hey, can I tell you this morning, don't try to mix Jesus into your life. You need to give Jesus all of your life. It's not about saying, hey, look at me, look at how great I am. I brought you in and you're just kind of added to the collection. It's me saying, God, here's the collection. I don't want in it, I just want you. Will you make the predetermined decision that nothing will hold you back for this week? Hey, I'm all in this week. I'm a follower of Jesus, not just today, Sunday. I'm a follower every day.